Welcome to Not The Way I Planned. I'm Carly Cash, and if you've ever found yourself thinking, this is not the way I thought my life would turn out, you've come to the right place. Each week we'll have inspiring interviews, plus tips and tricks to living your best life, even if it's not the life you planned. My guest today is Teresa Mills. She is an incredible, inspiring mother, and her story is one that just when you hear about one aspect of it, one challenge, there's another layer. So, uh, Teresa, thank you so much for being here. And the first thing that I like to ask my guests is, what were your hopes and dreams as a kid growing up? Well, thank you for having me, by the way. Um, I'd have to say my hopes and dreams growing up, I just wanted to be I wanted to be a mom and I wanted to be a wife and I wanted the white picket fence and, you know, everybody wants the American dream, you know, buy a house and um, have the toys and the husband and the kids. And that's that's what I aspired to have, you know, and find some career that I loved, which I did end up doing with that part, at least. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the other stuff was challenging to get it to fall into place. So let's so. talk about that. How did your family come to be? Well, my now ex-husband and I um, tried for years to have babies, um, did all kinds of fertility treatments and seeing all kinds of doctors, and um, we did that for about eight years, and then... Wow, that's a long time. Yeah, it is a long time. Lots of medication going into my body and lots of strain on us um, with our marriage because... Sure. Man, fertility treatments are not easy. You become a really grouchy person, and we were both trying to work on our careers at the same time and buy a house. And yeah, and then um, just the emotional aspect, I would imagine, of getting hope that, yeah. that you'll get pregnant, and then yeah. things not working out. Would exactly, be tough. exactly. Just hoping that your body is going to work just one time. That's all. I yeah. didn't. I wasn't asking for much. Just once is all I would have liked. And uh, we had talked about it and tried to, we looked into adoption simultaneously. That was never off of the table for us because we knew that we wanted children and it didn't matter how we were going to have them. Right. Um, but as a woman, I really wanted to be able to give my husband natural children. You know, mm-hmm. we had talked about them having my blue eyes and his black hair and just you know, normal feelings. Yeah, I just think normal. everyone feels that way. Exactly. Exactly. So we, um, we ended up doing foster program, um, down in Southern Idaho and, before we even took in our first child, his family had a little boy that needed us. And so we had... Um, so your your ex-husband's family. Yes, my ex-husband's family. So his uncle dated this woman who had this little blonde hair, blue-eyed baby boy. Um, and at that point, he was not a baby anymore. But... Um, they had had a falling out, and his uncle had gained custody of him, but wasn't his biological father. And about six or seven months after that happened, the uncle was diagnosed with lung cancer. And oh so we knew that this little guy was going to need a backup plan because he wasn't going to be around. We just knew that that wasn't going to be an option for him. And the mom was not in a position to take care of him. She, the state had said if she took him back, they would take him immediately from her. Um, so we just immediately began, you know, going over there and talking it through with family. And there was three different 
sets of us that were willing to take him in. Um, we didn't have any children, and so we kind of seemed like the obvious, you know, here you go, because they knew that he would have some issues, and we would be equipped to do it because we had done all the foster care program stuff. We had set up for kids that um, had RAD, um, reactive attachment disorder. Um, so we had kind of educated ourselves, you know, to be able to take on a child like this. And we've known him since before he was born. So we had, you know, yeah, loved so he him. was familiar with you. Mm-hmm. You knew yeah. him. Yeah. And he wasn't super familiar with us. We hadn't lived in Illinois for a few years. But he, he had seen pictures of us. We had been there, like, for his first birthday, and we had visited back and forth. So he he had seen, you know, that side of the family. And um, my ex-husband's mom was super involved with him. So she was there when he was delivered. Wow. Like, okay. So there was, you know, yeah. huge connection. So it wasn't, like, just pluck him out and, you know, move him. And we waited even till after, you know, his um, guardian had passed. And waited six months and then brought him to Idaho with us and became his guardians. So, so and how old was he at this point? Uh, he was six at that okay. point. So, um, we had, we were still interested in adopting a baby. We had, you know, desires to grow our family. And so we had looked into different adoptions and things like that. And of course, people are always, oh, you know, if I ever get pregnant, We'll let you have our baby. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or you would get people that would be like, oh, well, this person's teenage daughter is pregnant. And I think that they're thinking about adoption. And there was one that we began down that road and it was great because, you know, our families all kind of knew each other. And I thought, well, this might actually work out. And then because I wasn't a stay at home mom, they decided that we weren't a good candidate. And that one stung a little bit because it's like, okay, somebody else gets to decide that I become a mom or not. Yeah. Or what what a good mom looks like. Exactly. Because you know what? You can work and be a good mom. I would say so. Yeah. Right. (laughs) We both do. (laughs) So yeah. Um, So that, that stung a little bit, but you know, it just, we kept moving forward with those things and my medical situation kept getting worse though. So we, as we progressed further into trying to do fertility, we kept hitting roadblocks and my body was just saying, no, yeah. you're not going to be able to do that. So I had PCOS and, um, which is what for people that don't know um, what that polycystic is. Polycystic ovarian syndrome. So I've had it since I was 12 and the doctors had no idea what it was. Um, it was pretty, pretty new back then. I didn't get diagnosed with it until I was 22 mm-hmm. and that's when we, you know, cause we weren't able to have kids and, and it causes infertility. Yeah, it, causes infertility. it causes weight gain, correct? severe weight gain, oh. um, abnormal hair growth, um, and pain. I mean, there's severe All sorts pain with of it. Yeah. Fun things. Yeah. Super, <laughs> super fun things that come along with it. So as we progressed further, we just knew that my body was not going to allow for it. And I didn't want to give up yet. I was, you know, let's still do it. So we were still trying fertility drugs and all of that good stuff. And, um, so we'd had that failed adoption, but even prior to bringing our little one home, he had a little brother that was born in 2010. Um, and this was like nine months before my mom passed away. So my mother had ovarian cancer and breast cancer simultaneously. So oh I'm trying to help her and, you know, take her to chemo and all these things. And then we've got these little ones over in Illinois that we really wanted to adopt. And, 
Um, so when he was born, he was born right after New Year's, and I had made contact with CPS over there. We got everything in line. We had an interstate compact ready to go. We had our attorney over here ready to go. Um, I had talked to the social worker over there, and it seemed like we were going to be bringing him home. We even saw him one time, and we had no idea that it was him. There's this cute little baby, and my mother-in-law and I were at the CPS office um, getting ready to talk to the social worker. Yeah. And um, this cute little baby inside of the carrier, and I was like, oh, he kind of has this little funny hair mark, the same that my son did. And I was like, I wonder. And then when we left and this lady left, my mother-in-law I looked at each other and it was like, it was him. We knew wow. it was him. We, we just, we just had that, had that feeling. Gut feeling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so later that afternoon I went back to talk to the social worker and she's like, well, you missed him this morning. I said, no, I didn't. We saw him. Yeah. And, um, so that drug on though for a year and a half and they pulled the plug right out from underneath us. We had 26 letters written on our behalf to the judges, to CASA, to CPS, trying to get this little guy to make sure he got a chance to grow up with his brother. Yeah. Because I don't know about you, but when I look at my siblings, I see things that are just the same. You know, we stick at our tongue when we're really like focused yes, on something. Very much so. You know, yeah. And, or our eye color, our hair color, just different mannerisms, things like that. And I wanted so much for these boys to have that, to have that bond. Yeah. They weren't going to have their biological parents. They needed something. Sure. My uh, ex-husband know? is adopted and where he was adopted and he has a twin brother mm-hmm. and it's been a huge blessing that they went through that and grew up together yeah. having at least that little biological piece of right? having each other. Yeah. And that's what we wanted for him. And sure. uh, I remember walking up towards the courtroom and I saw the social worker. So I walked over and was chatting with her and this lady was sitting next to her. It wasn't the social worker. I'm sorry. It was the CASA lady. I was chatting with her a little bit because we had had a pretty good relationship. There's this lady sitting next to her and she said, well, my name is Jill. I am Blake's adoptive mother. And I said, what? And she said, well, I'm his foster mother right now, but we are adopting him. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I look at the social worker oh. and she immediately shuffles this woman and the old foster mom. And I had been told that he wasn't moved. Our social worker here had been told he hadn't been moved. And they, we went into the courtroom, pled our case with the judge. And he said, I don't even know why you're here. And I was. It had already been decided. It had already been decided by that social worker. He said, I'm going based off of the social worker's recommendation. I'd been working on this for like 15 months at that point to try and have him come home with us. Um, And my mother in law said, You know what? You're usually a woman of many words. She's like, You were totally speechless. I couldn't even speak. I was just dumbfounded at the fact that they are separating these boys. You know, they're biological biological brothers and you're going to separate them. doesn't make any logical yeah. sense no at no fault and you think own. about what the long-term consequences of yeah. that could be yeah. all the wonder from both of those yeah. boys yeah you know exactly knowing i've got this sibling out there that i could have yeah grown up with yep yep you could have you could have grown up with yeah they would have been oh. six years apart and so heartbreaking yeah i mean it 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 crushed us. It totally crushed me. And it mm. took me into a different spin when it came to kids. And it was really tough to like even try and move forward with some of that stuff. But um, I remember I had journaled this entire time. Like when I got on the plane, when I was leaving, I would always write stuff down about, you know, what the visit was like with my son, who wasn't my son then. But, you know, what was my visit was like with him. 
all of the journaling from trying to get his brother and things like that. So I have this nice little packet at home of all these journal entries and dates and times and contacts from people. And um, I found the social worker on Facebook and I sent her a message. So I know that she's read it, right? Yeah. You know, um, I sent her a message and I just said, when the little one turns 18, I'm going to hand everything over to his brother. Yeah. And I'm going to help his brother find him. And when they have questions, you are at the top of the list of who they can come and find and ask why you, you decided that they didn't get to be siblings growing up. Um Hindsight's 2020. I look at it now and I'm thinking, was this a blessing or was it not? Because genetically, my son has some things going on that I think that the other one may have had too. So was it a blessing in disguise and God saying, you probably can't handle two of them? Right. Um, you may I don't never know. know I, I will never know. But that opportunity was never presented to me because this other person decided that you know, his brother needed to go elsewhere. So. And did she respond to you? She didn't. Yeah, she didn't. And I, I I, saw her a couple of times when we were over there visiting just randomly at the store and she would, you know, turn her head and, and walk sure. away because I think she knew what she did was not okay. Like she didn't give these boys a chance and maybe the outcome for both of them could have been different. You know, had he had a biological connection, maybe his treatment would have been a little bit better in the beginning, his therapy and things like that. Right. Because adoptive kids feel alone sometimes, you know, and had he had that. And different. Yeah. So, and and I don't know. I mean, I can always speculate on how things would have happened, but, you know, we had him and we're very blessed to have, you know, had that opportunity to at least bring him into our lives and have the chance to give him a fighting chance. You know, he, at the age of six, he had never been to a mall. He had never, I mean, he walked into a mall with my mother-in-law and he's like, grandma we can eat here and she's like yeah Yeah. she had she didn't realize he had never been to a mall so he he faced a lot of neglect in those first six years lots of neglect yeah lots of neglect um you know mom stuck him outside at 18 months old and gave him a box of cheerios to eat and left him out there for eight hours oh my goodness you don't you don't leave a baby outside for hours and hours and hours you know and I I mean, I noticed things when he was a baby baby, but I was so new into that family that I didn't want to rock the boat. And I had said something and I was told babies belong with their moms. And so it was basically their way of saying, and it was one person in particular in that family, one, you know, and I love her to death and she's super, super sweet, but she, you know, her and her heart was in the right place because she wanted that, that mom to be his mom. Mm-hmm. And I get it. I totally get it. But there's things that probably could have been stopped so early on with right. him. And the consequences of those things happening uh, that early in a child's life. I mean, yeah. at any time, but especially that early when their little brains are developing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the yeah. effects, as you know, oh, can yeah. be. Severe effects, severe effects yeah. for him. And he was developmentally delayed because of the things that were done to him, you know, mm-hmm. not being allowed to play. At, like if you if they would take him to somebody else's home, he would be forced to just sit on mom's lap and not like play. And um, I remember holding him one time and like he was probably a little over a year old and he wasn't crawling. He wasn't walking. He was nonverbal. I mean, he laughed and giggled, but there was something so off that I just was like, "Mm, 
there's something going on behind the scenes here, you know, and um, he watched major abuse in the household. He was subjected to severe secondhand smoke, which caused him to have um, hearing problems. And he still has that today. He has to wear hearing aids. And yeah, and unfortunately, because we don't have contact with his birth mother, I will never know if some of it is genetic with the hearing versus yeah. it being environmental. Um, but what we're, we've been told by the doctors is the majority of his problem was most likely environmental. I had no idea that secondhand smoke could do that to a child. But I didn't either. Yeah, apparently it, it can cause hearing loss. But when you have three adults in a home that are chain smokers, you know, and this is a home that was has been condemned at this point now, actually, in the last few years and knocked down. Um, there was a giant hole in the middle of one of the floors, and we know that there was lead paint and mold in the home, and all of these things can affect a child so negatively on top of being abused, you know? For sure. When we got him, his front tooth was chipped out because his mom had smacked him, and, um, you know, I was so excited when that tooth fell out. I was so happy because it's like, yes, you don't have to live with that anymore. And then his new tooth grew in and he was running across the playground with his hands in his pocket and he smacked the asphalt and chipped the same tooth. No. I was like, are you kidding me? What yeah. Are the so, right. Of his, of his grown tooth. But um, so to bring him into our home and to have the opportunity to try and love him and show him what love was, was great. You know, and we knew that there was going to be challenges. I had no idea some of the challenges that we were about to face. It there's I don't think there's a book or anything that could prepare you because he was such a sweet kid and he still is a sweet person. Like it's you not know his soul is good. He's his just... soul is good. His soul is really good. He's made some really bad choices. Um, some of them are not his fault. Some of them you're almost an adult now. You know you gotta take responsibility for what you do. Right. <laughs> so, right. Regardless um, of what's happened. Yeah. Regardless of what's happened. But, um, so we had had him for about seven or eight months and just after new year's again, new year's, he seems to be the, like the sweet spot for us and yeah, people coming new into year's. our family. Right. Um, I got a phone call from a girl that I had worked with and she said, I'm pregnant. And I can't take care of this baby. And she said, I knew that you had a hard time getting pregnant. And um, she was in a really abusive relationship. And she just wanted, she wanted out of where she was at. She had moved out of state at that point. And she said, will you help me move me back to Idaho? She said, and, you know, I, I want you to take take this baby. And I was so skeptical. I was like, I don't know. Yeah, the you know? road that you had been yeah. down in so many yeah. disappointments. Exactly. So it was like, okay, I need a doctor's letter that states that you're pregnant before we even, you know, do any of this stuff. And I said, legally, these are the things that I can do if you're wanting me to adopt your child. Um, as a friend, I'm happy to do other things. You know, she ended up moving into our home. She brought the boyfriend with her. Um, and uh, I was like, okay. The if, abusive boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. And so... It was more of a, she would like say that he was abusive, then it was a denial and like back and forth, back and forth. But uh, you know what? Your life is your life and you can't tell anybody this is happening to you and it's bad and you can't, you know, be a part of that. So that wasn't my, not my decision to make. That was her decision to be in that relationship or not. And she was, um, she was five months pregnant when she came to live with us and We, you know, got her into the doctor and, you know, went to the first ultrasound and 
found out that our, our little girl was coming into the world and that was super exciting. And I still wasn't like, you know, getting my hopes super up there because I'm like, she could pull the plug on this at any point, at any point. And I'm like, I just have to have faith that this would, um, that this would work out. Yeah. Yeah. And we always joke that, you know, we ended up getting these children after my mom passed. We're like, my mom is probably in God's ear at this point, like yelling at him, like, look, you have to make this happen. I would think so. (laughs) So we just, we joke about that. But so I just had faith that this would work out and we just moved forward as if it would work out. And, um, she was six months pregnant with her and I came home from work and she'd called me on my way home from work. And she said, can you give me a ride home from work? And I said, yeah, I can do that. I said, I'm going to be a few minutes. I got to run by the store real fast. And she said, oh, I'll just walk because we lived like two blocks from where she worked. Okay, no big deal. But I could hear in her voice something was a little different that day. And she sounded stressed and a little afraid. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? So we get home and She's not there. My house is quiet. And I thought, well, that's weird. But maybe she went and hung out with some friends or something. You know, she knew people that lived in the area from living there before. And so turned on music like I always do when I'm getting ready to cook or clean or do anything. So I was in the kitchen and my son was in his room and he is, you know, playing with his toys. And I turn around and all of a sudden she's right there and she's yelling at me. And she says, call the police. And she's not like... It's not like a scream, but it's like a urgent, you know, and I'm like, okay. And she had, because she's from Micronesia, she had like a traditional skirt on, but she had it pulled up over her top. And I thought, well, that's really, why is she wearing it like that? That's Mm -hmm. a little strange, but whatever. She's pregnant. Maybe she's uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. And she turns around and her back is bleeding. (gasps) And I can see blood coming out of her hair, all over her back. And I'm like, what is happening? So she runs outside and I immediately get on my cell phone and I call 911 and I'm like, I don't know what just happened in my house, but, you know, explain kind of what happened to them. And she ran the other direction and her boyfriend comes up from my basement and uh, he said, hey, where's she at? And I said, I I don't know what is going on with you guys. And at this point, the dispatcher's still on the phone and you're trying to be calm. I'm 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 trying to be calm and polite because I don't know if he has any weapons on him. Yeah. Um, I'm still a bigger person than him at this point, but I am not going to physically fight somebody, especially if I don't know the situation, not going to happen. Um, and so he walked back into my home and I had this iron rod, um, iron rod baby gate at the top of our stairs and it was bolted into the wall. He took it and he ripped it off the wall and threw it down the stairs. So I just calmly walked in and I said, look, I don't care if you guys are having a fight, but you do not get to destroy my home. This is my home. But then at that point, I knew something was super serious. So I went and got my son and I walked him over to the neighbor's house and I said, I don't know what's happening yet with our birth mom. Um, Can you just keep him here? Don't let him outside. I don't want him to see the police when they come just don't, you know, and I had no idea at this point where she had gone. So I'm on the phone to my ex-husband. He's coming home from work. He's not answering at that point yet. His phone is still on silent from work. And I am like, you need to get here quickly. I don't know what's happening. She's been beaten. Like something is bad in in our home. And, and police uh, are in route. They're too. in route. Yes. But we took a secondary stage because she had called from the neighbor's house. She was like around the corner and the neighbor had seen her like around the corner, around the corner and pulled her into her home and they had called. So the cops put it together that, you know, the situation was linked. Um, 
So my ex-husband got home and he escorted the police downstairs to our basement. And our basement was like a, a little apartment area down there, you know, two bedrooms, a bathroom, a laundry room, a living room, you know, we had, had been redone. And, um, he walked down and the, uh, our daughter's birth father had trashed our basement. Um, there was a knife in the wall. Mm. He had, um, you know, he'd broken my laptop. He had he just went crazy. throwing things all over. Yeah, it was it was bad. And there was blood all over the wall. And there was blood in the bathroom. And uh, so I got around the corner to her and um, ended up taking her to the hospital myself. And then, you know, the police obviously came and asked her what happened. And he had gotten mad because he thought she was cheating on him. And she wasn't. That's not her personality. But he had been drinking. So he'd gone to her place of employment and started the argument there in the bathroom there and done a couple of things that were just grotesque. And, um, when that's when she had called me. So she was afraid when she called, she knew something was going on. So at the hospital, we found out that he had tied her hands behind her back with a cell phone cord and beat her with a belt from her top of her head to past her thighs. And she, ha- I mean, she still has marks on her back to this oh, day from what he did. And that's uh, how severe it was. Yeah, it was pretty severe. So, you know, had her in the hospital, making sure baby's okay. Baby was fine. Thank goodness. Um, and the reason he beat her back is because he was trying to protect the baby. Okay, well, great. But well, you yeah. probably shouldn't be beating the person that's carrying your child. Um, exactly. But it just complicated the adoption even more. Uh, made things super emotional because here this girl is. Now he's in jail. She's out. She's feeling still an obligation to him. I get it. Being in a, you know. But she came back to live with you. She did. She stayed with us. Um, so we, we continued forward, set up everything with our attorney to have the adoption done. Dad got out of jail um, and was placed on probation about three to four weeks before baby was born, maybe not even that long. Um, And the judge, they had a no contact order. The judge said he would be allowed to be there for the delivery because it was his child. Um, He could stay there for a few hours and then he had to leave, period. End of story. Okay, good. Well, when she was born, um, she ended up having to have a C-section, so we couldn't. I couldn't be in the delivery room as planned, just the birth father could. Um, super emotional moment. I mean, you've had your, your own children, so you know yeah. just all those emotions. And, you know, the night before, my husband at the time had walked her around the block, and the neighbors were, like, clocking the time between her contractions. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool. We'd lived there for yeah. a while, so everybody kind of knew, you know, we're what was going around on. Yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. Um, and then, you know, the next morning when she was born, I knew a bunch of the nurses there. So they had opened the delivery room door so I could hear her first cry. Aww. And I was like, wow, what a, mo- like a powerful moment in a person's life. Like to hear just that cry and it's know that she like gets to come home with me. Yeah. And, um, and at that point I was, you know, yeah, you, she gets to come home with me. This is awesome. This is our daughter. And, and you uh, worked so hard. Yeah, yeah. Like it was like, oh my gosh, this is finally going to happen. We're finally going to have a little one in our house. And um, so he ended up staying a little longer than he should have. And the nurses didn't know kind of what had happened. And so they had no idea that there was this restraining order with dad. Um, they set up a separate room for us so we could have our family and friends come and meet our new daughter. And we, um, we didn't know kind of some things that were happening with her in the room that night. And, um, 
we found them out later. But so the next morning when we came, cause mom asked, you know, can we keep her for the night in our room? And I said, you know what? I'm okay with that. You're giving me a lifetime with this child. And I understand like, this is not easy for you. You know, was that something that so, you had planned way ahead of time or just that no, was kind of a it was change a spur of the, the moment? Okay. Yeah. It was a spur of the moment thing. And so that was really hard, but I knew that I knew that the nurses that were on staff that night, I knew them. My mom was a, a nurse for years in Jerome. And so I knew these women and I was okay. Like she was safe. I knew she'd be safe. So the next day when we walked in, the social worker was walking in at the same time as I was. And she told dad, you need to leave. We understand there's a restraining order against you. Someone else in our family, because I was trying not to rock the boat, someone else in our family had called and told them that that was, he was overstaying was his case. welcome. Yeah. So he got outside and called my phone and was like yelling at me. And, and then I'm getting phone calls from her family. And so I'm like, does she even want to give the baby up, you know? And so we had a very frank conversation. I said, look, you, I, I get it. Like, this is a hard decision for you. So if you need time to decide, you need to let me know. It, this is this is still my life and I have to have some sort of control over it, but I need to know what's going on. You can't be telling me one thing and everybody else something else. And she's like, no, 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 I, I still want you to take her home. She said, I, I can't. I can't take care of her. She has a sixth grade education. You know, she doesn't have much family here. And we, at that time, we were still willing to help her if she decided to parent. It wasn't like, oh, you're not going to give us your child. So we're going to pull the plug on you. You know, had you um, talked about an open adoption or what was yeah, that? We knew it was like? going to be an open adoption because our daughter is Micronesian and she has a different culture. I mean, um, we knew that there would come a time where she looked at me and thought, where did I come from? Yes. You know, you don't look anything like me. So we knew from the get go, it would be an open adoption. It would never be closed. And, um, my family is one of those families that like, if you are a friend, you become a, a piece of our family. And that's just kind of how she was too. And my dad, even, um, he was at the, at the hospital. As soon as he knew that baby was born, he was over there and he was so excited that, you know, he had this new granddaughter and he, he even loved on, on birth mom. And we have mutual friends that were there too. And, you know, kind of giving her support. And, um, so later that afternoon, cause, because she was a C-section baby, they were supposed to keep her for three days. They didn't do that. And, um, they said, you're, you're going to go ahead and take her home this afternoon. And I thought, well, okay, that's strange. But her APGAR scores were great. They were nines across the board. Um, they said, well, she wasn't pink enough. I'm like, she's brown. She's not going to be pink. <laughs> like, they, how, how do you expect that to happen? So we were getting ready to leave with her. And uh, you could see mom was just, she was a mess. And my mother-in-law at the time, I, this woman, I love her. And she is still a really valuable part of my life, even though I'm not married to her son. But she's amazing. And um she crawled in the bed with birth mom and just held her as oh, we walked out the door. Wow. Oh, oh. Um, I love how respectful you were of her and her feelings. Yeah. And, you know, at the we same time, to be. Yeah, at the same time, like you said, you've got to yeah. have some control over yeah, your life such, and your feelings. But such mixed emotions because you're walking out of the room with this new little one. And it's like, this is what you've been wanting your entire life. But you watch this woman give that to you. She's so brave. Seriously so brave. Anybody that's freed their child for adoption voluntarily and knows that that's best for their child, it's a very powerful thing to watch. And I will forever, 
forever be indebted to her for that. Like it just was amazing. So we had gone home and, um, you know, I had this new little life and we're so excited. We even asked, you know, people on Facebook, do not post pictures until birth mom is ready. Like we just didn't want any of that. And so, you know, it was, it was a day or two before we got to do that and share Emmy with the world. And it was great. But, uh, so about a week and a half, maybe three, two weeks after she was born and we took her home, I get a call from the police department and they said, we have this woman here and she says that you stole her baby. And I said, I did not steal her baby. And I was like, what is going on? She had moved out of her home and was, had, you know, we had set up for her to move in with friends and things. And, uh, she had kind of self-medicated a little bit and, this other woman had talked her into saying that we had stole her child. So the police had to come over. And of course I have all my documents and right. You know, the first thing that he said when he got out of the car, he said, I'm not taking your baby. So just know I'm not taking your baby. And at that point I had a, had a friend come over and I was out in the front yard and I, cause I didn't want my son to see what was going on and, you know, freak out. Are they taking my sister? And, you know, okay, here exactly. we go. More trauma for you, you know? And, uh, so my friend came over and, And the officer was like, I'm not taking your child. Okay, good. Showed him the documentation. And so we finally get in contact with birth mom and my ex-husband comes home and I leave her there with him and I go talk with her and I'm like, what is going on? And she's just having a hard time. You know, she loved her and she missed her and she would, she'd carried her for nine months. And so I I can't even imagine me either. Like, I just can't, you know, and I told her, I said, look, you're still mom. You are still a part of her life and that's never going to change. So, um, and had you talked about like, with it being an open adoption, had you talked about, we'll share pictures or yeah. what kind of, uh, did that look like? Well, it was sharing pictures, visitation. Um, okay. and shortly thereafter, as long as mom was in a sound state and not self-medicating, we allowed her to come over and um, so she would come over and we'd hang out and, you know, she'd hold her. And so you got through so that night and we did. and yeah. you were able to maintain a good yeah. relationship. With we her. were able to maintain a good relationship with her dad. Not so much. Um, we had found out right after that happened. I It was our anniversary, which was, you know, we were excited. We were going to go out and leave her with a babysitter, which was my niece for a few hours. And we decided we didn't want to do that. I, at that point I took more maternity leave from work and I told my boss, I'm not coming back until this adoption is finalized. And my company was amazing. They were like, take all the time you need. We totally understand. And, uh, so we went to the fair and, um, in Jerome, you know, little tiny and safe. The nurse that was there when Emmy was born was there at the, uh, the fair. And I said, well, um, you know, she was like holding her and she was so excited to see her and, and she's like bawling. And I'm like, wow, this lady's really emotional about this. And she said, you have no idea what happened, did you? And I said, no, I don't. We found out that birth dad had hit mom in the hospital and the nurse had seen it. So she called oh. the doctor and asked the doctor to get the baby out because she knew the baby was being adopted. And that's why she came home early with us. And okay. she knew, cause she was also an adoptive mom. She knew that once I left the hospital with her, mom would have to fight me for custody, even though the adoption wasn't final, which I didn't even know. But um, you learn stuff all the time when you're going through this process. So we were able to bring home this beautiful baby and um, because of that nurse. And, you know, it it worked out. We have a really great relationship still with birth mom. And uh, 
she's doing well and she's moved away and, you know, no longer living in Idaho. And you know what's happened so, with the birth the father? We do. He was in prison um, because he had hit birth mom again in front of another nurse a different time. So he ended up in Great prison. Guy. Yeah, he's fantastic, right? And, and the thing is, is he was super smart. Like you could have these amazing conversations with him, but because of the trauma from his past and how he was raised, yeah, he ended up like this. Like, and and that's something that is so interesting to yeah. me. Whenever I hear of a crime or anything, I always think, okay, yeah, this person started out as a little baby, yeah. and I just don't believe that people are born, born evil. evil. Nope. I don't. Mm-mm. So I always think, what happened in your past that brought you to this place? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's exactly how I look at him. And, um, you know, I look at her and I see both of them. I see, you know, his hair, but her personality and just funny things about each of them. But so he actually ended up going to prison for five years. Um, and then he was deported. So he is back in Micronesia. Um, he is allowed, I have a separate Facebook for her. Um, he is allowed to be on her Facebook to see pictures and I monitor it. So that, you know, it's, he's not invasive. He's, um, been respectful. Um, his family sometimes not so respectful, you know, threatened to come and try and take her. And I'm like, okay, let, you know, go for it. Let's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be a good challenge for you. But, um, so yeah, he, there's a pretty good relationship there. So she, you know, she gets to see both sides of the family and, and she knows that she is adopted. She knows that, um, she has a tummy mommy and she has more than one dad and, and she's okay with that. You know, I think it's been good for her. And sometimes she gets sad cause mom has another baby now and she's four and well, why did she keep her, but not me? And I'm sure. Yeah. So we have to have talks about, you know, different time and, but she's so smart, but she's been forced to endure things in the last few years that have caused her to have that quick understanding of things um, and how life just kind of throws your curveballs, you know, and it uh, sure does. Yeah. So, so you've got this family mm-hmm. finally. Yeah. You've got Tyler. You're, he's six at this point. No, he's probably, so he was older now. He was at that point, he was eight okay. and she was brand new. Yeah. yeah. So you've got this beautiful little family mm-hmm. and you've mentioned several times that you're divorced. Yeah. Do you mind sharing just a little bit of that? Yeah. So, um, we moved up here to the Valley, um, when Emmy was not even one yet. And, uh, because my ex-husband got a job up here and we knew it would be a better opportunity for our family and just bigger area. And so we had been here a couple of years and, uh, my ex-husband, super smart guy, um, had always been a really good dad and, uh, he did something that, um, just took us all by surprise and, uh, never thought in a million years that he would have done what he did. And, uh, he did something that caused him to get into some legal trouble. Um, and he went to prison, um, for a significant period of time. For, yeah. He was there for two and a half years, um, and he is now on a significant parole. And uh, he <sighs> he was he was on some antidepressants at the time, though. And I don't want to blame it all on that because he is a grown adult and he even takes responsibility for it. So 
Sure. The crime that he committed, um, I don't want to go into detail about it, but he turned himself in. And even the judge said he'd never seen somebody turn themselves in over that particular crime. Um, so my respect level for him was a little bit different. And I was willing at that point yes. to say, OK, you took responsibility for what you did. You obviously didn't want anybody else to be hurt any more than what they were over the situation and but our family our world came crashing down around us you know i went from a family of four to just the three of us and a single mom in a blink of an eye <laughs> and it was okay so all of that income from him now gone okay now i have to figure this out and our lease was up on our house in just a f- couple of weeks um we had already like put money down on another home we were going to we had been talking with the owners about buying it we were going to rent it and then buy it from them um just because you know with the uh economy and things and during those adoptions the economy had gone down um so we had lost a business and a house and all the stuff that led up to this point and mm-hmm. uh, so yeah single mom away from my family my my dad still lived in the central idaho area south idaho and that's where my nieces and my brother was or one of my brothers so you didn't and, have that support around you. yeah i didn't have that support but we had some amazing friends that totally just embraced us and they could have walked away at that point they really could have and said we want no part of this um you know our family's been hurt enough during this period of time and we want no part of you but they rallied around us and helped you know take care of my kids when I had to work and um because there's so many pieces uh, to that and there's the yeah, financial yeah. there's you yeah. know who's gonna take care of the kids I don't know what kind of a setup you had before because yeah. I know you were you were working yeah. to some degree but um and then all of the emotional yeah. I mean it's yeah a lot it was huge because Emmy had really she'd not really gone to a, a sitter outside of a couple days a week and we had our schedules opposite so if I wasn't taking care of her he was taking care of her and the kids and so you know we rotated and at that point we also lived with our friends and you know we had we decided to rent one big house so we you know it takes a village to raise children yes, and it does um there's just there was many different things that went into that and so that was all ending at that time so and the kids are yeah, losing their dad they're losing their dad they lost their dad and um wow <laughs> i thought i'd work through all this stuff it feels interesting to talk about it i haven't um really talked about it in a while um so single parent overnight and uh so i'm looking for houses and i'm thinking how much can i even afford i don't even know how much i can pay on my own for rent and looking around here it was like oh my gosh you just can't afford to live in boise you can't afford to live in nampa you're gonna end up in a cardboard box like on the side of the road and with two little kids yeah that wasn't an option and um at that point they said i made too much money to even get any assistance so i'm like i couldn't get help anywhere and i thought thought to myself fine you know my parents raised me to be a really strong person and like i will just work as many hours as i possibly can to make sure that my kids have what they need and um my company was super great i found um a place to live and my company paid for two months of rent and gave us groceries and helped out so i could get myself going and kind of figure out what my budget was because so cool i hadn't done that on my own since i was you know 20 so i'm like oh my gosh this is you know years later and so, but while I'm looking for a house, I have my kids and my friend's kids in the car and we're headed out towards Nampa because I'm going to go look at a house in New Plymouth and I'm super excited. It's super cheap and it's around the corner from where our friends were getting, you know, going to be living. They bought a house out there and I thought, this is perfect. Lord, just let this happen. And I 
totaled my car on the freeway. (laughs) I ran into the back of somebody because I looked to the left and when I looked forward, she had stopped and I tried so hard. I put my arm against my friend's daughter and I was like trying to make sure she was okay. And, but all, all four of these kids in the car and I have to call their parents and tell them. So I'm hysterically calling their parents and I'm talking to their dad and he's like, I just tried to kill all of our kids. And he's like, you did not. It's fine. You know? And so on top of everything else, I total my vehicle. And uh, so I called the person. I said, I can't come look at the house tonight. I just wrecked my car. And she said, okay, well, I have other people looking at the house. So hopefully it's still here. And I'm like, please, God, if, you know, if yes. there's any mercy on earth, I just want this little house. And uh, so the next morning after I had gone and gotten my rental car my friend's husband went out there with me to make sure I was okay. So we drive out there to this house and it's this little tiny two bedroom house and it's on the edge of town and you just felt a peacefulness when you walked in. A big yard for the kids to play in. And it was like $550 a month. And I was like, I could do that. I could totally do that. So I'm standing there talking to this lady and I'm explaining to her, like, this is all the stuff that's happened. And she's like, well, I'll let the owner know. And I'm like, okay, property management, whatever. And I probably won't get this house. And um, that afternoon I needed to go to Twin to, for something with my family. Can't even remember what it was. Probably somebody's birthday. Who knows? And um, she called when I was down there and said, we, we want you to have the house. I'm like, oh. Perfect, you know. So we had this little sanctuary. Yes, finally, yeah, finally, something, something is good. going good. Yeah, yeah. And even even after totaling my car, that whole thing was a mess. It took four and a half months to get that straightened out. But sure. so I had no idea what I was about to face, though, with these kids. And uh, my son at that time needed he needed therapy still. So he had been going to therapy, and so we were trying to amp it up a little bit. So once a week, back and forth to Boise and. I needed to work. So I worked 70 plus hours a week, six to seven days a week. And I carved out time for him to go to therapy. Um, And then my internet stopped working out there. So I had to drive in to Boise every day for three weeks as I'm trying to get you know, this going. So thank God our friends were out there and they helped, helped the kids. Yeah. They helped take care of them and they stayed the night at their house a lot. And, but I was driving back and forth, back and forth. And finally that all got figured out. But, um, you know, my kids ate dinner alone. I, I'd make it real fast on a break and then they'd eat by themselves. And I think though, so many times society, we, we brought this up a little, or you brought this up a little bit in the beginning, but that with one of your potential adoptions, you were mm-hmm. turned away because you were not a stay-at-home yeah. mom. And I don't think enough credit is given to, I mean, think about what you were doing yeah. to put a roof over their head and yeah. put that meal yeah. on the table. And is it super unfortunate that you couldn't be yeah. there physically? Yeah. yeah. But what you were doing, I mean, that's a good mom yeah. right there. I, that's I, a I'm, good mom. I think it's because of my upbringing, though. Like my parents, that's how they were. They did whatever they had to do to make sure that we were okay. And, um, you know, I just, I knew I didn't have anybody that I could rely on. It's not like I could say, hey, mom, can you, you know, watch the kids for me? Yeah, watch the kids for me, kick me $500 or whatever the case was. There was just no way that that was going to happen. She was gone at that point, you know, and my dad had Alzheimer's, so he wasn't in any condition to, you know, yeah, support. There's no support there. I had emotional support from my family and I know that I probably could have been like calling my brother or, you know, one of my nieces, Hey, can I move back in with you? But that wasn't an option for me. Um, 
I wanted my kids to have our own spot, you know? Yeah. And so this little house worked for, for a while, but it was so hot in the summer. There's no air conditioning and so cold in the winter. And they had like these weird, like in the wall heaters that were, you know, hundreds of years old and mm. pipes would freeze and all kinds of things. And we ended up, you know, moving houses, but, um, honestly, like that little house got us started and got us moving in the right direction. And, uh, but I, it was, it was tough. You know, there was a lot of people though that helped like transport kids here and there when they needed it. And dance classes for Emmy and I wanted them to have as normal of a childhood as I possibly could so dancing and sports and I knew that it would take extra work on my part and it um, all costs a lot of money oh it does it does I mean there was a great little studio over in Fruitland though that she didn't charge very much for dance classes and that was a huge blessing and I made amazing mom friends over there that would come pick her up if I had to work and then I would go get her or something and um you know multiple challenges and then you have this kid that He's failing in school and he's having problems and, you know, one thing after another with him and therapy wasn't working. And um, did you feel like with him a, okay, I'm going to bring him into my home. And then I almost like you had some control mm-hmm. I, and I can defeat the odds yeah. here and, and yeah. he's going to be okay. Yeah. You had to have thought that. And then you would expect therapy to work. <laughs> yeah, no, totally, totally. I thought that or therapy you would have that work. Hope. Yeah, I had hope that therapy would work, that something would click in his brain and it wasn't and things were just getting worse. It seemed like every time we'd go to therapy, something else would happen. He'd steal money out of my purse. And I remember one time he stole money out of my purse and it was the last $25 that I had and I needed to buy groceries. And I remember getting to the store and not having that money. And I thought, okay, well, I'll write a check. Payday's two days away cross my fingers that they don't deposit this check and they didn't thank god but um he didn't even get the impact of what that had on our family and like you just took food out of your sister's mouth you know that's basically what you're doing well and one point that you brought up to me when you first told me your story was that he learned these behaviors these like survival behaviors at such a young age that i think he he didn't he just didn't have the moral choices yeah, he, like we did. We, he, he didn't, didn't have the moral compass. The moral compass, yeah. yes. Yeah, he didn't have the moral compass that this was wrong, that this was not okay, that it had an impact on people. Um, and that was what I was trying to get through to him. But I, I realized quickly after it was just me with him that this was bigger than the battle that I could take. And I remember calling around to places and asking for help from social workers, from therapists, from different, um, you know, facilities that I knew took in troubled kids. And I kept getting roadblocks everywhere I went. And I kept getting told, well, until he commits a crime, we can't do anything. And I thought, you want this kid to get in trouble before you will help him? Let's prevent it. Right? I'm trying to prevent it. I'm telling you the things that I see on a daily basis. And I started to feel like a crazy woman because some people were like, oh, he's such a sweet kid. Yes, he is. He's very charming. He's very sweet. That's part of his manipulative side. And not to say that he doesn't have a good heart because I've watched him do things like he sees an old man struggling in the middle of a grocery, you know, parking lot and he goes over and he helps him put his groceries in his car and he takes his cart and he puts it away. Right. That's the young man that I know and I love, not the one that takes money out of my purse or takes, you know, jewelry or whatever it is, you know, and he just had multiple things happen. And uh, so we, we started with a new therapist and she 
didn't really get through to him either. And it was like all these things were happening with him. And, and I just knew I, I could feel it in my heart that something was going to happen with this child. And, uh, his hearing was getting worse and we had been over in New Plymouth for two and a half years. And he, you know, the doctor said, you're probably going to want to start doing sign language soon and it's deteriorating. So we talked about doing, you know, different surgeries and things for him and so I'm like, is he having problems because he can't hear and it wasn't correlating and trying to make know, sense of it. Yeah. Trying to make sense of it. And so we, um, we ended up moving back this direction. Um, and at this point when, when all this first went down, I told myself, I'm never getting married again. I don't want to date anybody again. I don't want to live any with anybody again. Men are just off limits. I, I just don't want to. And, um, I had met somebody that had changed my mind and uh, we spent the first two hours of our first date telling each other why we shouldn't date each other. It was, <laughs> it was pretty funny. I would, I would love to see some of the people that were in that restaurant. They probably like, why are they having this conversation? As to why we should right? not be together. As why we should not be together. And so I, um, we ended up moving back this direction and finding a school down here that we knew was smaller and that would help him with his hearing. And we would be closer to doctors, closer to therapists. And I'm like, this is going to be a good thing. And, you know, the guy that I was dating at the time, he said, well, let's move in together. You know, I can help you. And he, he works on the road, so he's hardly ever home, but I'm like, okay, fine. Like that sounds like a great idea. You know, we, we'd mutually talked about moving in together and we both have kids and, um, he's the type of person that I thought would be such an amazing influence on my son because he's walked in some of his shoes, not to the extent of some of the things that have happened, but they do have some, there was a relatability there. There was a relatability. You didn't have, you couldn't. Exactly. I'm not a boy. There's a couple of things that have happened to both of them that I didn't understand either. Right. And, um, so there was a relatability and, uh, we'd lived together maybe a month. And we had gone to the store and came back and there was an incident that had happened. And I thought, this is not good. This is, there's something more to this. And so we put in more safety plans, um, more safety plans for the kids and even for my son and, you know, talked to another therapist and we're adding things at that point because, and I had amped it up trying to get him into a treatment facility because I knew something, something big was about to happen. I could just feel it in my heart. Um, and we had a facility that we were we we were almost done with everything ready to go. And I think that that wasn't the spot for him to be. And that's why all of this happened. And uh, we had traveled over to the Midwest um, for Tyler's brother's wedding. And so we were with my mother-in-law at the time, my ex-mother-in-law. And uh, my daughter felt safe to tell me about some stuff that had happened. And so... We knew at that point that our life was about to change even more. And uh, Tyler had gotten himself into some more trouble over what he had done. And we ended up, um, I told him, I had warned him, like there was, there's certain things that you just don't do. And so he ended up in the judicial system in a juvenile He's how old at this point? He's, um, he'll be 16 in two weeks. Um, So when this happened, he was only 14. And he's lucky that he was 14 when it happened. Um, Had he been 15, there would have been more severe consequences um, because of his age. Um, So, you know, we, I had him arrested and we. Which uh, had to have been so uh, difficult and so heartbreaking. It was, it was really, really tough because I knew not only was his life about to change, my daughter's life was about to change. 
that was her brother. You know, she loved him and, and not even just her, but like, you know, this man that I had been dating, his kids had come to love him too. And there was only one other boy in that group of kids and he was excited to have another boy in the house, you know, and yeah. his brother's going away. And so it, it took a toll on everybody. Um, and I remember, you know, flying back and I'm sitting between my two children, making sure that I'm keeping everybody safe and everybody separate. And, you know, you're going to sit over here. My daughter's going to sit here. And just that, that flight back was so difficult thinking, oh my gosh, our world is crashing around us again. And at that point, my ex-husband was still incarcerated and, uh, um, no, he wasn't. I apologize. He was out. He had been out for like six months, but he hadn't had any contact with the, the kids because of parole and all of that, which was fine. Right. Um, so here we go, you know, we're, we're getting ready to go in the digital system for, for him. And, so he ended up in there and ended up a treat in a treatment facility. And he's been there now since March of 2018. He's still there. Um, and overall I see differences. I see an impact that it's making and it's everything that I wanted for him that I was praying for that I was screaming for and nobody would help. And he had to do something wrong in order for it to help. Which so again, it's just so sad that, uh, someone has to get to that point yeah. for our society to it, get them help. Exactly. And it shouldn't be that it way. It should never be Men, that way. Yeah. Mental health in this country is not taken seriously enough. And for kids that have had trauma, whether it was a private adoption or not, my son was traumatized by his birth family from the abuse that he endured physically, emotionally, and otherwise. And that's not okay. You know, he shouldn't have, first of all, he should have never had to have gone through any of that stuff. But, so but at that all, point, like, then we need to do something yeah. that we have some control of doing. Yeah. You know, we can, I would think if you would have done intense therapy starting at six, yeah. maybe it would, I don't know, yeah. maybe it would look different. And, and, and honestly, I think if we would have done an inpatient type therapy when he right. first came to us, yeah, it may have resulted in something different. We didn't know what the what no was way. going on, and we went based off of recommendations that we had got from therapists and things like that. And the one therapist, when I talked about inpatient, she kind of looked at me like I was nuts. And the, his last therapist, she was the one that tried so hard. We had a place in Colorado we looked at. There was a place in Utah because he wasn't suicidal. He couldn't go um, because he had, you know, done certain things. There was another place that said, no, he couldn't go there. And, you know, so now he's in in this treatment facility and he can't come home. And he's Are going you able to, to communicate with him. Yeah, we, we have phone calls once a week. Um, our relationship has been really rough and we've been working on it. Um, does he blame you for him being there? or Does he know he needs to be no, there? He, he knows that he needs to be there. It's taken him a while to take responsibility for what he's done. Yeah. Um, but he sees that now. Um, he still acts out in certain ways, but even like his therapist and the staff members there, they always say he is one of the most respectful kids that they have, one of the kindest kids that they have, and they wish they had more like him. Um, and I get that. He's a sweet kid. Yeah. I mean, you've met him. He's oh, a sweet kid. I, I mean, so, I, I've only been able to see Tyler a couple of times and yeah. have very short interactions with him, but... There's something special about yeah. that kid and you can tell like he's just yeah. got a good heart. He you can does. see it in his smile and in his eyes. Yeah, and, he does. And which so, is so heartbreaking yeah. that, you yeah. know, he ends up in that position. Yeah. And it's going to be a tough road for him. And uh, thankfully, though, he's got a good support system. His 
adoptive dad is doing really well. He's completed his treatment. He's, you know, doing what he's supposed to do on his end. And, um, he's still not able to have contact with Tyler just because of the nature of everything that's happened on his end and on Tyler's end, which is okay. But I think someday that that will be good. And, um, that they should have that contact, you know, and they should be able to, but he's vowed to help support him any way that he can. Um, uh, so there's been talks of, you know, when he turns 18, making sure that there's a place for him to live and, you know, his dad wants to purchase that for him and making sure that we help him with the job. And I'm still in contact with a lady from the Idaho state school for the deaf and blind because of his hearing. Um, you know, and so on my insurance, he gets new hearing aids every couple of years, which is fantastic because yeah. then he gets great technology and things like that. And so I want to keep that moving forward with him. And, um, like I've told him the mother son relationship that we could have had is never going to be the same, but I am still your mom and I will still support you any way that I can. And it does get rough. You know, I still go to my therapist every once in a while when I need an adjustment of how to deal with things because there's still things that come in that I'm like, oh, I didn't know about that. And, you know, maybe it's something that he's done. Maybe it's something that's done to him. And it kind of spins you into a whole different whirlwind and you're still having to deal with this child. And, you know, I have to deal with him and not only him and what's happened and what he's done, but I have to deal with the other person on the other end and make sure that she's okay. Your daughter. Yeah. You know, and make sure she's moving forward and appropriately and has everything that she needs. And, um, you know, the person that I have in my life has taken a huge weight off of my shoulders. And, um, although I could probably still work 70 hours a week, he doesn't want me to, you know, it's different. And, uh, he wants me to be that mom for Emmy and he knows the value of mental health and he knows that these kids need that mom there. You know, they need me to be present and yeah. Emmy especially needs that right now. You know, she's still little, she's only seven. And um, so she needs that support system for her, you know, for school and just everything yeah. about her. And oh, I'm so glad you have yeah. that. I'm so yeah. glad. Yeah. It's been he's amazing he's amazing we actually got married five weeks ago oh you so, did yeah congratulations <laughs> yeah, i noticed you. the ring yes. but i didn't know yeah we got married yeah so. we did it's really it's, neat he he is amazing oh, you know such, i don't yeah such a blessing huge blessing i don't work 70 hours a week anymore he's allowed me to um pursue my dreams and you know he helped me get through real estate school so now i'm a realtor and so cool sorry real tour yeah real tour yeah (laughs) my broker's gonna be like uh hello we had this conversation the other day um so he's been yeah super supportive because he knows that that will allow me to spend more time with not only my daughter but his children who are now my children and uh you know we both of us obviously gone through divorces and you know that impacts children in yeah. any fashion, yes, whether it it's a good divorce or a bad divorce. And yes, there's still an impact there. They, there is, you know, and, and luckily his ex-wives um, are cool and we have good relationships and they are both amazing, you know, moms and women themselves. And so they, um, they're they very supportive of our family and, you know, I, I get to be the bonus mom to these four other really great kids and which I love yeah. that. I love when we can get to a place where it's it's like you just help each other yeah. out and love each other. And yeah. it, it's just neat. Like we yeah. said before, as cliche as it sounds, it does take a village to raise a child. It and, does. It and does. so that's 
yeah. pretty neat. I never thought that it would take this big of a village, but it, you know, it, it <laughs> really, okay. really does. Yeah. That's it's okay. just the things that I've watched us go through and the impact that it's had on my children. And, um, you know, that, that turning point of being a family of four going to three and becoming a single mom, man, I, I never had more respect for single parents, uh, than at that moment, you know? It's, yeah. You, you, until you go through it, you just you have don't no know. idea. Yeah. You have no clue what it looks like and how much hard work and, you know, how many sacrifices they make on a daily basis. And, and it could be as much as just, or, or something as small as, okay, I didn't eat dinner because I wanted to make sure that mm-hmm. they have the food on their table. And yeah. it doesn't matter to me if I eat or not, I probably should be eating, but you know, I'm good if my kids get that, you know, yeah. or things like paying the bills. You know, when you have to make that decision, am I paying the rent or am I putting food on the table or, and, and I, there are certain things that were always taken care of, but you look back and it's like, man, there was things that weren't and you got impacted because of it. And now that I'm on the other end of it, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing to watch. And so we have, you know, we have friends that are single moms and, um, we, we had a, a third vehicle that we sold to one of them. And I remember sitting there watching her cry in the living room because she was so like, she's like, my car didn't work and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was going to get to work. And I'm like, it's okay. I get it. I have walked in your yeah. shoes, girlfriend. You knew exactly how she felt. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, you know, when she doesn't want to come to a barbecue or something like that and she needs to self-care, I'm like, that's good. Please take a hot bath. Because I remember those moments of like, I just want five seconds to myself Mm -hmm. and you know, when you're working from six o'clock in the morning to 10, 11 o'clock at night or depending, like, I mean, sometimes it was eight o'clock in the morning until two or three in the morning, you know, depending on what you're doing, you're, you're constantly going and it's just to make sure that those kids are taken care of and you don't complain. You don't ask for stuff. At least in my case, I didn't. And people would see, Oh, I think she needs something. And my, uh, there was one time my washer broke, or my, not my washer, my dryer, my dryer broke. And I didn't ask anybody for anything. I was like, I'm hanging up my clothes, you know, all over the house and I'm taking some stuff to the laundromat, but there wasn't a laundromat in New Plymouth. So I had to drive to Fruitland and I did that if Emmy had dance. So I'm like, okay, on Monday I get to dry my clothes, you know, and not have yeah. like crusty stuff going on. And uh, for Christmas, our friends bought me a dryer. I didn't have to. And I was like, I just remember seeing this dryer come in and I'm like, I don't have to, you know, hang my clothes up anymore. And I'm like, how can I repay you? And they're like, you can't, don't, this is, this is us, not you, you know? And it was just very touching because it's like, you learn to pay those moments forward to those people and those moms that are struggling and those dads that are struggling, you know? There's a lot of that that goes unrecognized a lot. Oh, absolutely. I I know several single dads that they're struggling and, um, yeah, I'm the things that I have been through have made me a stronger person. They've made me a better mom. They have, you know, definitely shaped how I look at other people, how I look at the world, what I want to teach my daughter. And um I think she'll be she'll be better off for it, you know. And Yeah, isn't that funny? I originally, like before I became a mom, I wanted to give my kids this perfect little life. Right. And it's it's not that I don't still want that to some degree but I've just seen that the the challenges that they have had to face they are so much stronger and Mm -hmm. we've tried to handle them the best that we could you know my my divorce has been fortunately about as good as it can be but 
I notice that my kids are, they're more resilient and they realize mm-hmm. they can get through hard things. And those yeah. are weird little blessings in disguise. Yeah. So. And it's sometimes just a matter of how you approach it too. Yes, you know? very much um, so. I remember I was so tired this one time and I was bawling, just crying in my room. And I always <laughs> did it in private. I didn't do it around my kids because yeah. I didn't want them to see. And I must have had my back turned and Emmy walked in and she touched my face <laughs> and it just was like, oh my gosh. And she said, mom, is your heart sad? Mm. And I said, yes, my heart is very sad. And she said, did daddy hurt your heart? And I said, well, yes, he did. But, you know, we we had this small conversation about it's okay. And, you know, daddy said he's sorry. And it was fairly shortly after everything had happened. And um, and I said, it's okay. Sometimes, you know, grown, grown ups, that's what we do. We hurt each other and, you know, we have to say we're sorry. And, and that doesn't mean that we're bad people. We just make bad yeah. decisions. And so I've tried really hard with her and, and with my son to make sure that they were, their view of their dad was never impacted by me. And, you know, not yeah. saying that, you know, I haven't had some animosity towards him or anger towards him, but normally when I do, I'm able to verbalize it towards him. And, you know, he's like, you have every right to be mad at me. Yeah. You know, yes, I do. Yeah. I yep. do have every right to be mad at you, but um, how I have approached it with our children, I think has made the difference for them. And I remember when everything first started, I looked to other people because I was like, who do I look for for help? Like, I don't even know anybody that's been through some of this stuff. I don't, my mom isn't around, you know, like, who do you even talk to about these things? And small things, people would come out of the woodwork a little bit. And I found, you know, comfort and other adoptive moms that had gone through some of the same things I had gone through with Tyler. There was one that had gone through something very similar that I had with my ex-husband. And so I kind of clung to her a little bit and, you know, we would vent to each other. Yeah, and, there's uh, nothing like that connection when yeah. you find someone that really, truly gets it. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, when, when you invited me to come and speak today, I was like, I just hope one person listens to this and knows that there's light at the end of the tunnel Yeah, that you can get through it. And it's praying spending a lot of time working hard, making sure your kids are taken care of, and most importantly, and making sure you are taken care of. Like, yes. even if it's five minutes in the bathtub, in the shower, like that self-care I've learned is so important. And it doesn't have to be something big. I mean, sometimes it's just going and buying yourself a coffee and it's like, okay, I got, I got something for me, you know, mm-hmm. that day. And it doesn't have to be anything huge, but you have to take care of yourself because if you don't take care of you, you can't take care of your little ones, you know? Yes. Um, and you rely on people around you. If someone offers help, like, don't don't be prideful and not yeah, take it. I think like, we as women, especially, it's just like, well, I don't, I don't want to take the help. Yeah. I want to do it all myself. Yeah. And I'm learning that, too, that it's okay. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, totally accept the help or yeah. even ask for the help. It's yeah. okay. It's huge Cause, because so it's not about us and it's not about our pride. It's about our children. Yes. You know, um, my ex-husband's mom, she came over one winter and she bought them coats and clothes. And I buy stuff from the thrift store. I still do. I mean, I love the thrift store. They yeah. grow so stinking fast, right? Yes. yes. And sometimes there's things with tags on them that I, I love I never spend it. a lot of money on right? kids' clothes because yeah. they beat them up and they grow so fast. Exactly. I mean, went through three outfit changes yesterday. By the time we got down to my high school reunion, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, literally, it was like five minutes into this, this place at the park, she had fallen in the mud. And I'm like, I give up. Like, I totally give up, whatever. But, you know... It's, it's taking those little things and being grateful for them, you know, yeah. being humble and gracious when someone does offer that help because 
yes, it is helping you, but it's helping your kids even more. And you won't, you don't even know the impact that people have on your children. And when someone helps you and your kids see you accepting that, they know that that's being given out of love and that they're not looking at you thinking, oh, my mom's getting, you know, crap all over and no, it's like my mom works hard and she's, you know, absolutely, she's doing everything that she possibly can to make sure that I'm taken care of. And yes. now before I take extra hours on from work, I'll usually say to Em, hey, do you, are you cool if I take extra hours? You want to go play with your friends or do you want some mom time? And she'll tell me straight up, eh, go, you can go to work, mom. Or she'll be like, no, I think I really need you today. And yeah. um, I actually have a little outing planned for her this afternoon. So it's just me and Emmy and um this is the ninth anniversary of my mom's death. So today is usually a little bit more emotional than, than not. But my husband has been amazing. We went and watched a movie this morning and, you know, did some family stuff. And uh, so now I'm just going to, Emmy and I are going to spend the evening together and we're going to have a mom and Emmy date. And I'm super excited to to go and just spend some time with her because that's what my mom did for me. And Yeah. And you know, some of those moments are, are moments that they'll remember for the rest yeah. of their lives. Yeah, and it's the small stuff that they it remember. Really, they really do. It, yeah, the picnic in the front of the house, you know, yes. and like, I mean, she'll say that. She's like, do you remember that one time when we ate dinner on the trampoline? Yeah, I do yeah. remember that one time when we ate dinner on the trampoline or, you know, and it's just those small things. So yeah, six days a week, you probably ate dinner by yourselves in the kitchen, but I still made it for you. I cooked it for you and I still checked on you. And, you know, I, my job has allowed me to work from home. So I was able to put Emmy to bed every single night. And there were days that, you know, we're not supposed to have our kids in our room. And if I'm sure my boss is listening, just plug your ears. Um, <laughs> you know, that she wasn't feeling good, but she would be super quiet and I would sit there and I would be doing my work and she'd sit in my lap and I'd rock her to sleep and, uh, you know, or she'd lay on my bed and watch a movie when she wasn't feeling good or, you know, or her and Tyler both would do that. And so they'd be in there and they'd always be super quiet and respectful and nobody ever could hear them on the other end. But I was afforded that, you know, I may have been working a whole bunch, but they were there. They knew I was there. And, yes. Um, Tyler even broke his arm one time and it was 10 minutes before I was supposed to get off and they were having a pajama day and he came in and his arm was like all, it was so gross. It was really <laughs> gross. Thank goodness my niece was there that night and she's like, I don't even know how to get to the hospital. And I'm like, I have 10 minutes before I can log off of this phone. Just dress them. That'll take up 10 minutes and, you know, don't move his arm. And so I was thankful because I, Otherwise, I would have been called at work and probably been in Boise and had to drive. And so I was afforded that. A lot of moms are not afforded those things. So, yes, yes. it's definitely been a blessing. Well, but. and and speaking of blessings, you know, you kind of caught me off guard before we sat down to talk. You said, I want to bring up the blessings and all of this. Yeah. I don't want to discount that or not talk about that. And I with everything you've been through, it's a little amazing to me that you can see so many blessings, but I see uh, it's so evident that you see that positivity yeah. and, and all of the blessings that have come of it. And you know, one thing that I think is really cool is that excitement over the little two bedroom house yeah. or being able to tuck your kid in at night, you know, yeah. when you go through tough things, those seemingly small things become huge and you find gratitude mm -hmm. in them. And Absolutely. Absolutely. Like a lot of Emmy's younger years were taken from me and I didn't get the chance to do 
all the mom stuff I wanted to do. So I really love the fact that there are certain things I get to do with her now. Um, you know, during the summer, I get to spend time with her and, and take her places and, you know, get the blessing of, of watching her run through the sprinkler and the giggling and finger painting or, you know, just even the excitement of going to the thrift store and she finds a toy that's a dollar and she's super excited about it. Yeah. And I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, but yeah, the small blessings are just, they're, they're bigger and more impactful when you don't have everything that you thought you would have. I don't have the white picket fence and someday I will, I will still have that white picket <laughs> fence. And, uh, I trust you will. Yeah. You know, like my, my family is different. You know, I, I had a 15 year marriage that ended and, um, I didn't think that that would happen. I thought that I would be like my parents and be sure. married for almost 50 years before my mom passed away. My oldest brother has been married for over 30 years and he passed away in March. And so my sister-in-law is having to deal with that. And, you know, I've got a, a younger brother that he, him and his wife, their 30 year anniversary is this year. So to look at everybody in my family and know that they've all been married for like this really long time. And my middle brother and I are the divorcees. And, um, but my middle brother, he's found this amazing woman that he's been married to for 10 years now, I think 10 years, hopefully I have that You're memorized, not right? To yeah. know that. <laughs> but, uh, so he even, he even told me at our wedding, he said, I'm so glad that you found your person that loves you. Like my wife loves me. And it's true. And even my best friend, like we're coming off the dance floor and, and I'm, I'm a clearance kind of girl. So everything that we do is, you know, super cheap. And her husband was our DJ and it was just, it was great. But anyway, so we're coming off the dance floor and, um, she's bawling and I'm like, why are you crying? And she's like, I just, the universe put you together. I've never seen that before between two people. And, you know, I'm looking at these pictures and I'm like, yeah, you can totally tell the universe did put us together. We are yeah. this, this perfect pair, which is amazing, you know, but it's, he looks at the things that he does for me as like the small blessing, like, or just small things, you know, and it's but they're huge big to, you. to me. Like, yeah. you know, he'll send me flowers or even like last night we did a date night and we were walking through Walmart and someone was like, who takes their wife to Walmart for date night? Well, we've got new phones. We're looking for cases because he knows that I'm going to break mine in a week if I don't get a new case. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so we're like joking around and the Lion King's come out. So he's like holding Simba over his head and, you know, just being goofy. And then like walking by the flowers and I'm, I was joking with him and I was like, Oh, are you going to get flowers for your next date or something? And, and he's like, no, I'm going to, you know, I want to get some to put in your, in your vase at home. And I was like, Oh, but just little small stuff, you yes. know? And the date was super cheap last night. I don't even think we spent $30 between dinner and, you know, going it's out not about that. It's not about that. It totally isn't. It's just no. these small blessings that have such an impactful meaning to us. And I tell him all the time, I'm so grateful that he came into our lives because I, I was tired. So tired. I don't know what I would have done without him. And it's like, God knew that I needed that person to come into my life and say, it's okay. You don't have to do this by yourself. And even though in some aspects I wasn't doing it by myself, I still financially was doing it on my own rent you know, electricity, food, all of that stuff, kids, clothes, everything by myself. And to not have to do that, have somebody that is like just an amazing team player. And, um, you know, it just, I can't even describe how big of a blessing he is to us. And I love when the universe kind of comes together and it, 
it's so easy when you're going through all this garbage to just be like, why? Yeah. Why? And, you know, even when you talked about I didn't plan on getting divorced, I, I didn't want that yeah. to be me. Now that you're with this person that completes you, it's like it, yeah. it, it all makes sense. You it know, does. this is how. It was yeah. supposed to be in the end. Yeah, and he's my person. Yeah. He totally is my person. And and you we, would have never found each other had mm-hmm. those other things happened in your lives. No, never. So. Absolutely never. And we, yeah, there's not a moment that doesn't go by that I don't thank my stars, you know, my lucky stars that he walked into my life. And we met online because Lord knows I did not have enough time to date. <laughs> and he, I just, I remember him messaging me and I was tired. It was the end of a 15 hour day. And I'm like, I want to go to bed. Yeah. Like I, like I don't I, have time to chat with yeah, you. Like I had a half an hour left on my shift and I was like, Ugh, whatever. And then I'm like, okay, he was nice. Just answer him back. So I did. And then he wanted to call and we ended up talking to like one in the morning and I'm like, be up at six. I'm really tired. This is ridiculous. What am I doing? And it's worked out the best possible way. Like mm-hmm. it just, you know, we were both in such a, a crazy spot in our lives and I really was getting tired. I was giving up and just letting go of so many things and like, I'm done. I just can't do this anymore because of the overwhelming feeling of the kids and what my son needed and financially what was going on in my life. And, you know, to have this person walk in and just we can do this together. And that's exactly what it is. It's a total teamwork. And he's still super helpful with Tyler. And, you know, he helps me be a better mom because the Lord knows sometimes I'm like, I still don't understand this kid. Like I don't understand. And so he'll listen to our conversations. He's like, maybe word it this way next time. And so I will, and it helps. And I'm like, Oh, thank you. You know, cause we don't understand what makes everybody tick. No, yeah. no. So he's been he's been a really huge blessing in my life, and I do, I do value the positive things that have happened for us. And um, I just hope that you know anybody that's going through this stuff sees that like there's light at the end of the tunnel. Do yes. not give up. You have to just keep going forward and take the help as it comes, and you know, take time for yourself. Yeah. So. Well, I just think. You're such an amazing, inspirational woman, Teresa, and I am so glad that you finally found that missing piece and you've got him in your life. And I just admire you so much as a mother, and I trust that your kids are going to go on to do really big things, that your daughter, you've instilled amazing qualities in your daughter. And and even with Tyler, I'm I'm sad that he's (laughs) where he is, but I'm really hopeful that he's getting the help that he needs and that he will go on to do great things as well. He's a special kid. So he is a special kid. The staff members there have been great and his latest therapist out there. I want to hug her and hug her and hug her because she's made a breakthrough with that kid and I can hear the difference in him and I can feel the difference in him. And I just pray that he takes it into the real world and he, he makes a difference and he makes an impact and, you know, even his dad is trying to turn what he did into, um, you know, something helpful for someone in the future. And that's all you can do. You can make yes. mistakes. It's okay. We are human and to err is human, right? But if you can take that negative situation and turn it into a positive and move forward and have an impact on someone else and make sure that someone else doesn't make the same mistake that you made or even help them through if you know if they have it's it's all worth it so yeah it's been good thank you so much for sharing your message absolutely thank you 
Thank you for joining this edition of Not The Way I Planned. If you liked what you heard, you can find more at notthewayiplanned.com as well as Not The Way I Planned on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.